It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. You know, I, I'm a little bit of an, an advocate for Easter. I, I enjoy the holidays, but you know, one thing that kind of um, gets me is, I guess no, is Thanksgiving and Easter seem like to be overlooked. Maybe it's not quite as um, big of a financial increase to the businesses and stuff. Easter has a little bit more because they get to sell the candy and stuff, right? But, you know, um, really, I guess in, in uh, the church world, we have two major holidays, and that's Christmas and Easter. And, boy, Christmas just seems like it really outshines it, doesn't it? I mean, it's like we wait all year for Christmas. Can't wait for Christmas. And, you know, in a sense, um, if, if Easter hadn't have happened, we, Christmas wouldn't have any meaning. Wouldn't have any meaning at all. Um, you know, if, if Easter hadn't happened, um, it would be... Uh, Christmas would be nothing uh, other than just maybe some event that uh, was talked about in histories years and years ago. Uh, there was uh, uh, this grandfather, he, was, he saw his granddaughter, she was over there, seven or eight years old, playing around, and a bunch of her friends were there playing, and, and so he thought he would, uh, you know, uh, have a little bit of fun or challenge him and see what was going on because it was Easter weekend, and so um, he saw him playing, so he said, well, who knows why we celebrate Easter every year? <clears throat> And his little granddaughter's name was Julie, and so um, you know one of her friends, uh, you know, just kind of chimed in and said, "Oh, um, that's when we go to the mall and we sit in the, the the big Easter bunny's lap and we get pictures taken, and uh, then we tell the rabbit what everything that we want in our Easter bunny when we wake up on that Sunday morning." And he goes, uh, "Well, he says um, that's um, that's interesting." So the second little girl she jumps up and she says, "No, no, no! It's it's when we uh, get a tree and we hang eggs all over it." <laughs> And when we wake up on Sunday morning, we see then all the presents that are underneath it. And he says, um, well, that's a good guess, but that's really not it. And, and um, so uh, about that time, little Julie, he, he looked at his granddaughter and said, well, why don't you tell us what you think Easter is all about? And she said, well, it's when Jesus was crucified and he died. And um, his disciples put his body into the grave and they rolled a big stone in front of it and at the opening. And the guards, they went to sleep and on the third day, yeah, he came out of the uh, an earth, big old earthquake hit, and, and um, the stone was rolled away. And he says, Julie, he said, I'm so proud of you. That's, that's right. And so as he was talking, she interrupted him, and she says, and when the earthquake happened, she says, all the people from town came all around to see that if, when Jesus came out. And if he saw a shadow, then there'd be six more weeks of winter. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have all the facts. You know, we kind of get things mixed up. <laughs> I think in some of Tyler Perry's movies, uh, Medea, one time she was talking and she was supposed to be getting real spiritual and telling about the disciples and all this stuff. And I mean, she had all the different stories all mixed up, you know, Moses on the ark and I don't know what all, you know. But uh, sometimes we get all of our facts mixed up. And I think that, you know, we have a lot of help to misunderstand things. Satan doesn't want us to really understand the Bible and, and, you know, Really, the Word of God is so simple that it needs help. We need help to misunderstand it. Sometimes uh, I think Satan wants us to think that it's very complicated and that we could never understand that. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think that we need to really understand is that Easter is so important. And as we're here today, as, as I was just praying this morning, I said, Lord, you know, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for what you've done for us and what this means. And, you know, 
uh, this year will be 30 years for, for Light Christian Center, and we've seen Easter's come and go, and it's supposed to be like the high holy day of, of our Christian year, and it really is. You know, hey, congratulations, you made it out today. You know, you ought to give yourself really, you ought to go out and celebrate because you, you made it to church, and that's a big deal. I think there's more opposition and more uh, spiritual opposition to people getting to church today than any other day that we've lived in. And so you uh, really accomplish things. You know, some people wrestled with the covers and got pinned by the sheets today, and they didn't quite make it out. But you made it here. Um, and I, I really think that we should pause today and think about this thing, Easter. Uh, and I think that it ought to be really something that we consider and really not so much just the, the day or the event, but the whole concept of Easter and what it means. I believe if we can understand it, that it'll, ask, it'll answer some of the, the pressing questions that mankind has had down through the ages. One of the things that I believe that Easter does, <clears throat> Easter provides us some, um, really some satisfying answers. And one of the first questions I think that it answers is the question of doubt. You know, the, the disciples were full of doubt. Jesus met with them that Thursday at the, the Last Supper, we call it. And as he was telling them all the different things that would happen, they were listening, you know, and they were, they were like, what? And, and he was trying to tell them what was going to happen, and he, and he was going to go and die. And they were like, what? And, and well, then at this time, will you set up your kingdom? Because they were thinking that as the Messiah, he was going to set up his throne and rule right then. They were going to be set free from the Romans, and they were just weren't quite catching it. And, they, and so when... He was captured and he was taken away. There was doubt. I mean, they were hiding in this, this room. They were hiding away, afraid that they might get captured, arrested, and taken off. And, and so all the things that he had told them that should have built faith in them, really there was doubt there. And so, um, you know, a lot of people today, they doubt. Is this really true? And, and uh, you know, well, how do you know which religion is really the best? And which one is, is really true and what religion should, should you uh, follow? And, you know, <clears throat> as we press toward the end days, there will be a one-world religious system just as well as there will be a one-world government system. And a man will be on, come on the scene too with the Antichrist and he'll be known as the, the false prophet. And so, you know, what I see, what's fascinating to me is I see things, kind of a conglomeration of things coming together, like a smorgasbord, if you will, of religion and how the tolerance comes in and plays such a big part. And we're to be so tolerant to, any, to everybody else and all the other religions because, you know, as they say, it really doesn't matter. We're all going the same places. As long as, you know, it's, it, we, we serve a higher being and, and all roads are going to lead there. And people are buying that. And so, you know, when you hear things like what Jesus said, though, um, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, then, it really? Is that really true? Can nobody get to the higher power except just through Jesus? I mean, I know he was a good man. He was a teacher. But, you know, I just don't know what is the right one. What is the right religion? And so, see, without Easter, there's these questions, these open questions. And, and uh, you know, you can line up and you can go to all the tombs of all the other leaders and um, CEOs, if you will, of all the other uh, religions of the world. And you can go, go to their tombs and, and you can just have a roll call and, and you can say, uh, uh, Muhammad, here. <laughs> Buddha, here. <laughs> I mean, you can just go down through the, the list. Uh, uh, even Moses here. 
Confucius. Here, Jesus. Jesus. Where's Jesus? He's not here. He's not here. There's no answer because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. You know, you can just go by all these other places and you'll see where all the other leaders of these religions are. But you go to the tomb of Jesus. I've been there. I had the opportunity to go twice. It's empty. And so Easter settles this question of doubt. Like, you know, is he really, is it really true? Yes, what he said is true. The angel was sitting there and he says, Jesus whom you seek, he's not here for he has risen. As he said, as he said, without Easter, there would be these questions and there would be doubt would run rampant because of thinking, well, what religion is the best? Hmm. Christianity is the true way because Jesus is not there. He is risen. You can give him praise for that right there. Hallelujah. You know, the second question I think that the resurrection answers is the, the question of guilt. Peter was feeling pretty guilty, wasn't he? You know, he thought about, he denied Jesus three times, just as, just as Jesus said that he would. A lot of people felt guilty. And you know, the thing is, is that we're born with guilt because we're born with sin. Uh, what is guilt? The, the dictionary says that guilt is a feeling of having uh, done something wrong or failed in some uh, obligation. It's amazing how that somehow, even just as a small child, we begin to feel like, you know, well, I haven't done something right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's just there. It's this inborn tendency to do evil. It just comes. We're inherited with it. We inherit it down through Adam. We know that sin is with us. We don't, you don't go around teaching kids how to lie to their parents, right? How many know that they do, though? How many of you had a two-year-old just stand right there and look at you and say, No. You know, somebody was in the cookies. Who, who took the cookies? And they stand there with a cookie right here going, was it you? Nope. <laughs> What's in your hand? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, so who taught them how to do that? I don't know. We're just born with this thing. We're born with this. Some of you haven't grown out of that. You're still doing the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's no one who can claim to have lived an absolute perfect life anybody in here that's lived just an absolute perfect life um you know it's like the records of our life haunt us you know as we look back or something and we we realize oh, i wasn't I, I wasn't the perfect father i wasn't the perfect husband i wasn't the perfect wife i wasn't the perfect son or daughter or employer whatever and it's just there and sometimes we feel guilty and here's this guilt it's like wow it's just there it's just present and and so you know like how can we get rid of this it's just amazing nobody's born without sin uh, no one lives without sin no one can claim to be totally free from sin we make mistakes in fact even after receiving the lord jesus christ as our savior you're still a sinner in fact, 1 John says, for all have sinned. Or he, he says that if you say you have no sin, 
you lie. <laughs> I like that. You lie. You liar. <laughs> John wrote Revelation. He was old. He was in his 90s. I don't know how old he was when he wrote the, his first writing. Mean, it could have been, you know, that little old finger. You lie. <laughs> if you say you have no sin, you lie. And you're deceiving yourself. And you make God out to be a liar. I remember I, as we travel, even as... Uh, you know, as pastors, when we serve, we maybe go to some place and we hear messages and stuff. And, and it, it um, it's it's funny. I'm a, I still have a little bit of honoriness in me. You know, that's, but we all we have sin. <laughs> I have this honoriness, and and you know, the pastor or the preacher at the end will say, you know, okay, uh, all of you, if you have sin in your life, I want you just to raise your hand and you know get right with God. I'm like, well, I got sin in my life. <laughs> Well, you're a preacher. Well, but the Bible says all. We, we all, we have sin. If you say you have no sin, now you're lying. <laughs> and the other thing is that worse than that, you're calling God a liar. You know, there's nobody perfect. And this, there's this question of guilt that is just there. Um, you know, am I a sinner? <laughs> there's no sense in asking the question, am I a sinner? Because the, the answer is Yes. You know, if I ask the question, you know, you know, if I said that, you know, the proverbial thing, every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, you like that. And then how we do that at the end. That, I always used to like that so I could, finally, I could just kind of close my eyes and re- relax a little bit, right? It's a time to, you can actually act like to take your nap and nobody will get on to you. you know? <laughs> every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, now then, you know, are there any sinners here today? You know, and so what goes through your mind? I mean, here we go. We've got this. Well, of course there's sinners here today, right? I'm one. You're one. We're all one. The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> I remember the story about the guy. You know, he was, his wife, he finally started coming to church. His wife had been after him to come to church. And so they come and they, they always sat in the middle, you know. And so finally, after months and months, this guy finally raised his hand at the altar service to come up to give his life to Jesus. And the pastor said, well, uh, Bob, what, what's the deal? What's taking you so long? He said, well, you know, he says, I thought I just might ought to quit embarrassing my wife. He says, what's that? He says, because we have to always sit in the center section. And so he said, if I thought if I would get saved, I wouldn't be a sinner, so we could sit someplace else. <laughs> so, all you people in the center section here, you know. Uh, but are you a sinner? Yes. The question is yes. It's not a matter of, it's not a sin question anymore, but it's a son question. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's no, there's none righteous. No, not one. Some people, after living a life of guilt, they try to, you know, how do you get rid of guilt? Well, you know, you balance the, the guilt or you, you, you shift the blame to balance the guilt. That's what good psychology tells you. I've taken counseling classes and stuff, and basically when the bottom line is, is that, you know, how do you uh, alleviate your, your conscience and your guilt? Well, you know, uh, Elizabeth, what you need to do, you know, you probably, when you were a child, you were probably, uh, you know, uh, mistreated. So, you know, your mom should have done something different, and your dad this and that, and your sisters and whatever. So, so what we're doing is we're balancing, we're, we're shifting the blame, so we can balance the guilt. Because if I, if Tawana's guilty, you know, and Chris is guilty, and we get out here and get all the guilt shifted around, now I'm not so guilty, right? 
What's the first thing that happens when we were a kid or you talk to kids and start getting on to them? Well, but they did such and such, right? If you had a sister or a brother, how many of you have a sister or a brother? You know, see you were, how many of you were the only child? Okay, well, y'all don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> you had nobody to blame. You know, or you had, you know, it was like, well, they did such and such. You know, theirs is worse. And so we're always, what, trying to shift the blame so we can balance the guilt because we don't like guilt. We don't want to be guilty. We don't like guilt. And it's that feeling that, uh, you know, we haven't fulfilled our obligation. What obligation? We don't know, but it's out there, and it's heavy, and it's a bad one, and so if we don't shift the blame to balance the guilt, we're just going to deny that, even, that it even exists. And so I'm going to just escape into something where I don't have to face the guilt. And so drugs and alcohol and pornography and whatever, you know, just to get away so I don't feel the guilt. Right? Isn't that, isn't that right? Some of you have gone through that. and You've tried to escape into this and escape into that so that we don't feel the guilt because we don't like the guilt. But I want to tell you, you can do all that. You can shift it, the blame out of here. You can escape from it if you, and try to escape from it, but it doesn't solve it. It's still there. Some people just, they throw it all off, and all of a sudden, they become so religious. You know, that's, what, that's, that's how we get real guilt is we just become so religious. And if I'm just really, really religious, then I won't be guilty anymore. So I'm going to just, uh, you know, dress a certain way. I was going to wear a tie today. I couldn't find it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I tell you, for years, <laughs> for years I wore a tie from, from dawn to dusk. It's like, but anyway, it's there somewhere. It'll, it'll turn up, but I feel a lot better, praise God. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, we think, well, if we just, um, if we look a certain way, you know, I mean, a, a pious look, and sometimes it's like, how high can we put our hair, or, or do we not, you know, wear this or not wear that, or, you know, you know, there was some, uh, the old holiness religion, the men couldn't wear a tie, and they had to keep the top button button, but when Sandy's great-grandpa, uh, when he got a revelation that that wasn't going to make him any more holy, whether he wore a tie or he didn't wear a tie, and he wore a tie one Sunday, I remember... Uncle Clem, her great uncle, telling that they had a fist fight down on this side of the church. <laughs> oh, boy, they were really spiritual, weren't they? They were really holy. They're fighting on whether or not you should wear a tie or not. Or, or your jewelry. Or you're not, It's not going to make you any more holy. It won't. You can't be good enough to get rid of the guilt because it doesn't matter how good you are, you can never, ever be good enough. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. Wow, I know. Look around, that's kind of bad, isn't it? (laughs) But that's what we see. But see, aren't you thankful for a God that loves us, that because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, he rose with resurrection power to set into effect this thing that's just beyond comprehension that God, the creator of the universe, can look down and just declare that Jeff, a sinner, <laughs> you know, a sinner can be just, I'm going to erase your slate, you are, uh, you're no longer guilty. Not guilty. And we line up and he says, not guilty, Tim. Not guilty, Gabe. Not guilty. Easter. Because of Easter. Because of the resurrection. It settles the guilt question. The question of guilt. I'm no longer guilty. 
do I feel convicted? Yeah, but I'm not condemned. See, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that's gone. But yet, there's a good kind of guilt, if you will. It's conviction that really what it does is helps prod me that I don't do things that I really shouldn't do. And, and you know, I have freedom. Not freedom to do what I want, but freedom to do what I ought to do. I've been set free from the law of sin and death to his grace that loves me and says, you're not guilty. Now, live unto me. Wow. That'd be a good place to say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Wow. People try to be good, but you can't be good enough. One day when I I remember just saying, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just can't be good enough. I can never, ever be like so-and-so. Here we are. Remember when we're trying to shift the guilt or uh, the blame to balance the guilt well we all another thing we start to do when we try to do this righteousness gig is that we try to look and see how and we're like well i can never be that righteous and i never could be that righteous and satan's trying to point that out so that we just give up it's like going on a diet and saying i can't eat chocolate cake 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 now we're all thinking about chocolate cake what are we gonna do after service i'm gonna go eat some chocolate cake One time I taught us, I was teaching a series on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so I was teaching on on joy as a fruit of the Spirit. And I said, you know, our joy, because, you know, at times I said, well, you know, I just lost my joy, you know. Well, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. It's not our joy. Our joy isn't nothing. It's the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, that joy that gives me strength, which is a deep inner rejoicing. I said, you know, our joy is like the foam on top of an ice cream float. I like floats. And, and I like homemade bluebell vanilla that sits in root beer. The molecular structure of the bluebell vanilla merges with the molecules of the, of the soda. And somewhere down in the bottom, it just develops this wonderful, rich, whatever it is. And, but something else happens. And at the top comes this foamy stuff. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, get real. All the rest of y'all are just, man, y'all ain't living or you're lying. One of the, and you know, I remember the first time I was like, ooh, that looks good. I took a spoonful of that, that, that foam. And I, Yuck, what is that? It's nothing. It just puffs up there and looks real good, but it's nothing. It just goes away. And so I was saying, you know, hey, that's like our joy. Our joy just puffs. It's no good. It doesn't accomplish anything. The deep inner rejoicing is that bluebell ice cream. That's the joy of the Lord. That's what will give you strength. So after service, I got so many calls and, and little notes and emails and stuff. Pastor, you shouldn't do that. You should, uh, what? You shouldn't preach on ice cream sodas. Why is that? Because we, right after, we went to Sonic, and we got an ice cream float. <laughs> I was like, that was everything, that's what everybody was thinking about. Well, you know, when I go through this thing about I can't do this and I can't do that, that's all I'm thinking about. The same way with trying to be good. Because all you're thinking about what you can't do, and that's what you end up saying, well, I could never be good, so you just give up. And you go and you eat chocolate cake. Or you do whatever else that you escape into. And, and you just say, well, you know, I could never do that anyway, so forget it. I'll just live like this. 
because there's no hope for me anyway. And so since we can't get rid of the guilt, then we might as well just be guilty. Hmm. But I want to tell you something. See, Easter settles that guilt question. As I said a while ago, because he rose from the dead, now the Father looks down and everyone who receives, every sinner (laughs) that receives Jesus and said, I couldn't be good enough, but Jesus was. Then the Father says, because you've received him, now I declare you not guilty. Not guilty. Amen. And only Easter answers the problem of guilt. Hallelujah. You know, uh, Paul, he felt so bad. He, he wrote about it in Romans chapter 6 and 7. In one part, he says, you know, what I want to do, I find myself not doing. And that that I don't want to do, you know, that's what I do. And so he said, I'm having a, a problem. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? He was feeling so guilty because what he needed to do, the righteous things he needed to do, he couldn't do. And then the unrighteous things that he didn't want to do, he said that's what he found himself doing. And I'm thinking, when I read that, and I saw that here's a man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's having a problem. I'm going, what? Wow. Hey, I know we got the same name, Paul, but wow, we share some other things. I'm having a problem here because what I don't want to do. That's what I find myself like over here struggling. And what I'm wanting to do is I'm having a hard time. And Paul says, but I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He said, that's how I'm able to succeed. Hallelujah. Because where I can't fall short, I fall back into Jesus. And I walk in his grace and I call upon the Holy Spirit to give me strength and power. And he does that. Hallelujah. Well, that answers a One of the other questions is, actually was on down, but I want to look at it now. And that's the question of weakness or powerlessness. Because, see, we do feel powerless in this thing. I can't do, I can't live this life. I'm powerless. But because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because of this power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same spirit that dwells in Christ dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and he says, and it shall quicken or make alive, empower your mortal body. Wait a minute. Where I was powerless, where I couldn't do anything, I'm weak and I'm, I'm prone to defeat because of the resurrection. There's power and resurrection. Power is mine. And so now then, what I could not do by his spirit, I can do. Wow, I can rest upon the Holy Spirit Jesus looked at him. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, in fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray and ask the Father to send you a counselor, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you in all truth. Where you're weak, where you're uh, prone to defeat, you can call upon him, the Holy Spirit, and the same power. He says, greater things than these. He said, you look and you saw what I did. Greater things than these shall you do. He said, there's going to be a new power upon you. Where you were powerless, now you can be powerful. Wow, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You'll cast out devils in my name, is what he said. Wow, in that power, in the power of his name. How? By resurrection. Because if there was no resurrection, then there would be no power. Because Jesus, he said, you know, they tried to figure this up of how many <clears throat> nuclear tons of explosives that it would have to have to, to uh, you know, equal the resurrection power. What? 
I mean, you can't, we can't even do it. You can't duplicate it. You can't duplicate it. It was something that was impossible. He defeated death. Death. <laughs> he defeated that in hell that was prepared for, not for you, but for a Satan and all his fallen. You, he defeated death, hell, and he defeated the grave. He rose up triumph. Somebody ought to shout here. Because of the resurrection, that power that raised him up from out of that, he said, is yours. So when you're confronted by the one that used to have the keys of death, hell, and the grave, Jesus defeated him, stripped him of his power, and has given to us the keys of the kingdom. Now then, the answer to powerlessness and or the question of weakness and powerlessness now has been answered through the resurrection because now he says, all power from heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know. I wish I had somebody to preach to this Easter Sunday. I could just about shout, but I got to be dignified because I got a suit on this morning. Oh, you have to come back when it's not such a high holy day. We have fun. Wow. You know, most of us wake up, or we make these New Year's resolutions every New Year's, and you know, they last about a week. And we're so weak-willed. I mean, we don't, we're, we're weak, and, you know, uh, we keep turning over a new leaf because the old one won't stay turned over, right? <laughs> um, you know, the pages of, uh, thank you, the, the pages of, of, of history are just littered with the stories of men and women who dream big dreams, but yet then they fail to accomplish them. Who are we? We're no different. You know, we've made New Year's resolutions and, well, they didn't last very long. And we keep turning over new leaves because we can't keep that one turned over. And why? Because of our weakness, of our, uh, we had no power there. But you see, we need to learn how to draw upon resurrection power because of Easter, because of the resurrection. We now have power. It's been given to us. Hallelujah. You know, that's real power. Real power. You know, the other question <clears throat> that Easter answers is the question of loneliness. Loneliness. You know, at that Last Supper, as, the, as Jesus had told him what was going to happen, he broke the bread and he uh, gave him the, the, the wine and he talked about the new covenant. And they looked at him and, and one of them said, we used to do this in our drama what was so funny having a Texas accent doing this, you know. And it says, you're going to leave us as orphans? You guys remember that? Who was it used to do that? And, uh, huh? Lane? And, you know, but it was funny. Just I hear that when I'd hear that, I just almost crack up. I'd, yeah, that, that sounds like South Galilee, you know. But it's like, you're going to leave us as orphans? <laughs> He's going to leave, and what, you're going to leave us alone? Lord, we, we left everything to follow you, and now we're going to be alone? We're alone. We don't want to be alone. Loneliness. It's amazing. We live in a world where, I mean, Houston, Texas, and the surrounding areas, I think I saw the population figures it's like 6.9 million people, almost 7 million people in this particular area. But we're, we have people that feel lonely. <laughs> we feel lonely. We write songs about loneliness. And, you know, good country western songs. Got to have something about loneliness and beer and a pickup truck and a dog. And, and He's lonely because the girl left. It's probably because of the dog. I don't know, or the truck, one or the other, but uh, lonely. Now, where can I find a friend? People say, you know, I just don't have any friends. And Facebook, they got hundreds of friends, but yet we don't have any friends. 
We've got social media, and we've got so many friends, so to speak, but then we feel lonely. And you can talk to all your friends on social network, and you can sit in your home and feel alone. Loneliness. You know, it's like in this city, you can be, I mean, we're living in a fast lane. I mean, you, how many you have to drive downtown or drive into the, the traffic to get wherever you're, you're going here? And it's just amazing. I mean, there's so many people going so many, so many places. We get up in the morning and we've got to hurry up and get dressed because we've got to go, hurry up and get to work so we can hurry up and do our job so we can hurry up and get back on the freeway before, and meet, beat the traffic so we can sit there in the traffic so we can hurry up and get home so I can check my email and my Facebook so that I can then uh, hurry up and eat supper so we can have a, a, hurry up and have some family time so I can hurry and watch a little bit of TV so I can hurry up and go to bed because i got to hurry up and get up in the morning. Wow. And we catch you, take a breath. Hey, breathe. <laughs> I got a smartwatch <laughs> that I didn't wear this morning either because I don't like it. It annoys me. <laughs> I'm sitting there and it'll go thump, thump, thump. Hello. I'll look at it. Breathe. Oh, well, well, thank you for telling me that. I, I might have forgot to breathe. I really might have forgot to take a breath. If you hadn't told, well, you're so smart. I'm sure glad I got this watch because I might just lay here and die if I didn't have a watch to tell me to breathe. How many of you have a, a smart watch? And what it's telling you is, the, look, take a breath. Chill out is what it's, what it's saying. You know, hey, you know, isn't there a song like breathe? Just breathe. Like, come on, just pause for a second. Take a breath. Chill. Wait a minute. We're just so busy that we don't have time for friends. Churches that were once full now are, you know, you can find plenty of room in them because people don't have time to go to church, but yet they're lonely. We're lonely, and God designed this wonderful thing called the body of Christ. Wow. It's amazing. He's so smart. He created social networking way back then, and we didn't even know it. We didn't even know it. It's amazing. Wow. You know, it's amazing how we ever got prayer chains going? How did we ever, you know, pass the word to pray before we had internet? How many of you know those things? The old, old prayer chains, remember being part of that, you know? And, but before they had telephone, they had telewoman. <laughs> they, they got it out, right? Hey, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Now, I know you got crucified, but that was Friday. This is Sunday. Y'all aren't supposed to be... Looking at me like that. But no, that's why they go down to the well, right? And they draw water. And they talk about everything. And they get all the stuff and the social networking. And they would, here we go. And we distribute it, right? Amen. If you can't say amen, just say, oh, me. Don't expose your ribs when you're raising up and laughing like that or agreeing with me. You're an open target there. It's, it's amazing. We, we build houses and we put up fences and shrubs so we can't be seen. And we keep people back. And, you know. We used to manage some apartments when we lived in Tulsa. And when we were down here in Alvin back in the early uh, 2002 or 2003, we had to do some remediation on our house. And so we had to move out of our house. And we had to go to Pearland. And we moved in these uh, triplex apartments. And it was like, oh, this is crazy. And so here's all these people. I mean, you fight for a parking space, you know, and because there's so many people there. But yet we didn't know the person that was like 20 foot down there. There was another door. But I didn't know who they were. There's people that lived right above me. But I didn't know who they were. There's people all around. But, boy, we... Oh, we don't know anybody here. We're just so lonely because all of our friends were in Alvin or whatever. But see, we're lonely. Hmm. It's amazing. But, you know, Easter solves all that because Jesus said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans because he rose. First of all, he says, 
and the King James says, lo, I'm with you always. And the old black preacher said, and high I'm with you always. <laughs> and lo, I'm with you, and I'm with you everywhere. I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Jesus is always there. The Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And by the way, he said those words after the resurrection. He's I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. And back in Hebrews, it talks about where it was said in Deuteronomy, uh, you know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's always with us. One of his names is Jehovah Shammach, which means he's there. Where? He's there. Wherever we are, he's there. Wherever you need him, he's there. He's an ever-present help in our time of need. And you see, he cares for people through people. And so I believe that God is resident in Gabe's, in Gabe's life. And so when I am connected with Gabe because of the body of Christ, then you know what? I'm not alone. Jesus is right there working through him, caring for me. Caring for me. Isn't that amazing? You see, that's how it ought to be. It's really how it ought to be. We feel so lonely, but we just kind of gravitate back to our little lonely holes, and we just climb in them, and we sit there in our lonely spot. And Sandy used to say there was a little song when they were a little in my own little corner, my own little room, or something like that, in, in my own little chair, and that's where we go, and we just get lonely. What happens whenever we, something happens in our life? Or we get mad at somebody. We just stop and we go get into our little lonely spot. And we sing that song, Only the Lonely. <laughs> well, that was in the 50s, wasn't it? You know, and things haven't changed. And we just sit there and sing the blues and think nobody cares and poor me. But Jesus said, wait a minute. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. And you know what? If he's with me always, then I need to allow him to be with me and go to someone who has a need. There's people every night. They're laying down in their beds, lonely, fearful, hurting, depressed, feeling dejected and, and rejected and feel like nobody's around. But God says, hey, how about you going and checking on them? How about that? Well, Pastor, is that your job? <laughs> it's not a job. It's a thing. It's a thing we ought to do. We ought to love one another. That's why John wrote so much. He says, love one another. He says, if, if they see you, that you love one another, he says, they're going to see Christ. I'm paraphrasing, but he's gonna, he says, they're going to see him. They're going to see everything that he was about when we love one another. When we love one another. You know? Jesus, he's with us always. And so if he is with us always, why don't we just allow him to motivate us to go and, and to be where he wants us to be? I will never leave you is what he says. And that's a promise and it's true. So don't feel lonely. Call out to him wherever you are, whatever the situation is. Boy, some things are running through my mind, but I'll keep them there. I thought of times when, I, when you feel all alone. I remember waking up in CCU in a hospital well, you, you kind of feel alone there. And, uh, but you know what? I hadn't been alone. Even throughout that time when they said that they lost me three times, faced death. You feel alone when you feel like you faced death, but I wasn't because I knew Jesus was right there. When I woke up, the first words that I was trying to shout out, but there was this thing down my throat helping me to breathe, was greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Why? Because I knew that he hadn't left me. He would never leave me. See, I wasn't afraid I don't know, I had thought, you know, what do you do? What is death? You see, that's the last question, really, that resurrection 
answers that Easter answers is this question of death. And I always thought many times, oh, man, I, well, hmm, I don't know what I would do in the face of death. What is death? You know, I've seen death. I've been around death. I've touched death. You know, it's loneliness. It's, it's separation. You know, I, I, I've been to the casket of a loved one and reached in and touched their cold, clammy hands and no response back. I mean, death is so final. Death. Death. Wow. That's why that the Bible says it's our enemy. But it also says that Jesus conquered death. Conquered death. This thing that we try to avoid and and we spend our life wondering what it would be like if we face it and, and a fear of the unknown and it's always present, yet it's so close to us. We're driving down the highway. Did you know that you're so close to death that sometimes we're 35 or 40 inches apart from death? We're moving so close, so close to death. David told Jonathan, when Jonathan was talking to him about, you know, uh, Saul had been trying to kill him, he says, hey, you know what? I live close to death. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I'm so, so close to death. But yet we wonder about it. And, and here's the good news today, is that Jesus conquered death. It's so final, this question of death. What will we do when we face death, when death comes our way? When we're faced with death, what will we do? And there's this fear almost. Well, I want to tell you something, people. I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. What I didn't know or how I would respond or how I would act, I didn't plan it. Didn't even know what was happening. I was out like half the afternoon. Didn't even know what was happening until I woke up and realized, and as I played some things in my mind, I realized that, hey, I had been at death's door. But I can tell you something. From being there, I have no fear. I don't have a fear of death. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because what Jesus conquered death, there's no sting. That's what, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? <laughs> There's no sting in death. Why? Because it's not permanent. It's just a separation. It's for the believers just going to sleep until we get to the other side. See, it's, it's real. there's no power in death. It can't hold you. It couldn't hold him. And what they were so afraid of, of dying, something happened to those 11 disciples because they saw Jesus die. They carried his dead body into a tomb. They laid him there. They cried. They wept. They were afraid. They saw death and they ran and they hid because they didn't want death to come to them. And so they were so afraid of facing death and they were hiding. And Jesus just got this is so cool. I wish we could do a drama like this. He walks through the door, the wall. Hi, guys. What's up? <sighs> is it a ghost? No, this is me. And, and Thomas says, How? let me see. I, let me see. See your hands. Hmm, looks like Jesus. Jesus said, well, touch my side. Hmm, looks like Jesus. Feels like Jesus. Wow, it's Jesus. Well, something happened because those same guys, you can read in Fox's Book of Martyrs, they weren't afraid of death anymore. They faced death. One of them filleted alive. Whoa. Now, 
I tell you, I'm not afraid of death, but those knives going through you while you're still alive, that part didn't, doesn't look too good. You know what I'm talking about? Just got to take me on to death. But something changed because they weren't what they once were was afraid of. And they were afraid of being left alone, and they were afraid of dying. All of a sudden, they're not afraid anymore because they saw a resurrected Savior who was risen, who the angel said, why do you look for Jesus among the dead? He ain't dead. He's risen. He didn't say ain't, but that's the Paul Golden translation. He ain't dead, but he's alive. Don't seek the living among the dead. Come on, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody that he, he conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Wow. A.S. Tolley says uh, uh, about hell, it says, he tried to describe it. He said, you know, it's a vast solemnness. Nothing there. And those that have studied hell, they said what they can figure out is it's a, it's a, it's a, a complete separation, separating a person from everything. And an aloneness. Talk about being alone. And, and suffering for a, a torment. Not being able to die. I mean, you know, death can be welcomed sometimes when somebody's been suffering. You know? But when you can't die, and you would want to die in hell, and you're separated, see, that's without Jesus. But he conquered that. He came back and he conquered that. And God says, you know what? None of you. I didn't design any of you to die. I designed you to, to have the same life I have, the same kind of life I have. I, I, there's no limitations on my life. I, I'm not threatened by death. I'm not, it doesn't affect me. There's no boundary. There's no limitations. I, you know, death is here. I just step over and it's not. And, I, and there's just no limitations. And death, that's called eternal life. And he says, that's what I want you to have. And Jesus said, hey, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And if you, you know me, then you're going to know eternal life. This is eternal life that you know him and you know me. This is eternal life. It's the kind of life that God has, life without boundaries, life without limitations, that death cannot hold you and the grave can't keep you back and nothing can separate you. And depression and loneliness can't hold you back because of the resurrection. Oh, somebody ought to just give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. We used to sing this old song. It seemed like every, every Easter, you know, we'd get out and we'd sing this song. And the chorus went something like this. Death could not keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave, he rose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Hallelujah. Man, what a song. I can just see that guy writing that out. And getting that revelation that there's no more death because of the victory of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I could tell you about it this morning. I wish I had the words to express to you. 
what this day ought to mean to us. I'm sorry. Thinking about the time that I had with the Lord just this morning. Boy, you know, after that time I'd been in the hospital and they had said that I, I died three times. I had this vision and I've shared some of it, but I remember when Sandy was in the hospital too. We were both on the same floor. She was just a few rooms down. We couldn't even see each other on this, in the same hospital at the same time. And so when we were able to see each other, I, I told her, she was talking, I says, honey, I, I had some strange visions, and I started to tell her, it was just not like now, I would tear up, and I, I couldn't talk about it, it wasn't that I was sad, it was that there was something so cherished, and so um, close, I guess, in, in it, that it's just, it means so much, you know, I guess, with a relationship with the Lord, it's just, he's so close to us. He ought to be so close to us that just talking to him ought to, it's such a privilege and an honor. This morning I was praying and I said, Lord, I need to have a good sermon. He said, no, you don't. He said, it ain't about you. I go, well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you know, this is Easter, you know. I mean, it's a, kind of a big deal. He said, it ain't no big deal. I said, Really? He said, it's just another day, just another Sunday. I said, really? I'm thinking, well, we don't really think that way. He said, it's just another Sunday. And I thought, but Lord, so much is commemorated on that. He said, but it ought to be every day. Got to have an Easter every day. I guess that's what, that's why I'm so tender because I'm, well, what a challenge. I thought, Yeah. I need to have an Easter every day. When I wake up in the morning, I ought to so appreciate that there's no guilt. That there's no guilt because he rose and took that away. There's no questions. There's no loneliness. There's no death. There's no, uh, none of these things. There's, they're not, they don't exist anymore for the Christian, for the, the one who's, who received Christ. Because Jesus conquered those things. He says, and you can have them now. I thought, wow, now? He said, now? Jesus said, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I, I've come that you might have this abundant life. I've come that you might have life and life to the full. I've come that you might have Zoe, this same life that, that God has, a God kind of life, and have it to the full every day, every day. And it's like he said, that's no big deal. It ought to happen every day. I thought, that's so right. Father, that's so right. Forgive me. Forgive me for just so, like, separating it and saying, well, okay, today i got to remember the Lord and all he did in his resurrection because this is Easter. And he says, but it's for every day. I didn't die just so once a year you could think about this. He said, I died so that 24-7 Every second when you're asleep, 
You don't have to worry about death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. I think the reason why that the first thing I was trying to shout when I became conscious, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Because when I had walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I knew that he was with me. And he was so much greater than anything that the enemy could bring against me. I wish I could tell you that, oh, I had this warm light and I was drawn to this light and it was so blissful. I wish I could tell you that my experience, some of you have heard it, it wasn't like that. There was some warfare involved. There was some torment. The devil was trying to kill me. And I said, okay, fine. I'm tired. I was ready to go. Death was welcome. I was tired. And I said, fine. And I remember in that vision, God coming over and said, get up. I haven't told you you could die. I'm not finished with you yet. And here's a word from the Lord for you today. If nothing else in this sermon, hear this. God told me today to tell you, I'm not finished with you yet. You know why? Because resurrection. When there's a resurrection, it means I ain't finished with you. Because if there's a resurrection, he says, I still need you. So he says, because of the resurrection, God says, I'm not finished with you. If he was finished with you, you wouldn't be sitting here. We'd be looking at your pictures, and we'd be talking about all the good times we had with you and the barbecue we ate at your memorial service. You wouldn't be here. You would be with that great cloud of witnesses looking down on us, rejoicing that you ain't down here anymore. But you're here. And if you're here, that means God isn't finished with you yet. He says because he's put a power in you, it's a resurrection power that takes you beyond the guilt. It takes you beyond the shame. It takes you beyond the loneliness and the discouragement. It takes you beyond all the fear. It takes you beyond the doubt. It takes you to that place of where you say, no weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. All those that rise up against me shall fall. I ain't afraid, devil. Of what you can bring against me. Get out of my way. I've got a job to do. Hallelujah. 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 I want to tell you that from personal experience, I've been to the Holy Land. We went to the garden tomb and to that place of Golgotha. And it's being eroded so much now. But you can still make out kind of the place of the skull where Jesus died and where Nicodemus and Joseph took his body and laid him in this tomb. And, you know, you go into this tomb and there's two chambers in this tomb. And the first chamber is the weeping room where people, the family would go in and they would sit and they would cry and they would weep because their loved one was laid over in this section of the tomb and they were dead and so you would mourn. But I want to tell you something. Sandy's been there too. We've walked into that tomb. I've gone through the weeping room. I've stepped into the chamber. Everything is there just as the Bible describes it. It's amazing. You say, wow, this is exactly how the Bible describes it. It's in an exact location where it needs to be. All this stuff is right. It's amazing. Everything is there except one thing. Everything is there but one thing. You know what's missing? Jesus. The body's not there. The body's not there. That's what's gone. And because 
he's gone tells us that, he, that we have power. This same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he says, I'm not finished with you. You're not alone in this thing. Don't tell me what you can't do. I'm going to tell you what I've designed you for. Now then, show up. You need to rise up. You need to have a resurrection in your life is what he's saying. Come on, get with it now. I ain't finished with you yet. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.